Some of you may still be reflecting on uh, this time, and that is good. This is a moment of worship, uh, just as our singing or uh, the preaching of God's Word. Um, Go ahead and continue serving uh, them. Um, I'm just going to pray here in just a moment, and uh, we want to thank God for um, His body um, and His blood that was given for us um, as well. We will be praying for our persecuted um, church brothers and sisters in Myanmar, um, just uh, in person, not through video today. And so uh, you can continue if you're uh, praying um, and reflecting uh, to do so as I pray, and then uh, we'll get into today's message. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for um, Christ willingly laying down his life and giving himself for us. We thank you that we um, got to celebrate um, that death uh, last Friday and uh, a week ago. Um, And Lord, as the Bible says that um, it pleased you to crush him on the cross so that um, he would be the remission and he would be the payment for our sins. We thank you for the perfect life that Jesus lived for us so that broken body and that shed blood uh, would be meaningful and would be worthy uh, of the payment of sins. We do thank you for his resurrection as well, but we thank you that Lord, he willingly um, went to that cross, and he willingly laid himself down. Thank you that even in the garden where he says, if there is another way, um, he asks for that, but then he says, nevertheless, um, hit that, that your will be done. And so we thank you that um, today in remembrance of Jesus, um, that your will was done. And we thank you that the blessings and the benefit of that will was the, the fact that we now belong to you as sons and daughters that we have been saved and redeemed, and that we have been brought into the family of co- as co-heirs with Christ. Lord, we are so unworthy of that. We are so unworthy of that. But yet, you have called us your own. And so today, we thank you for that. We thank you that your blood and, and the body of Christ that was broken was not just for Um, us as individuals, but Lord, it was also for those around the world, like our brothers and sisters in Myanmar, those who, Lord, for a moment like this um, may have to worship and may have to celebrate in hiding, that may have to be careful who they talk to in public when they're sharing their faith because they might be um, persecuted, they might be thrown in prison, they might face death. But Lord, we thank you that your payment, Christ's payment for our sin was just as worthy for them and just as much for them. And I thank you that we're brothers and sisters, and today we get to lift up our voice and asking you to bless them and to help them, to give them strength to stand when it gets difficult to stand, to give them joy in the midst of their persecution. Lord, I thank you for their example for us that, Lord, they um, live their faith boldly um, and courageously in the face of um, persecution and the, the, the negative consequences of that. Lord, we can learn a lot even our own culture, um, from our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. And so, God, we just ask that you would take their witness and that you would help spread it throughout that country um, to their neighbors, to their families, to the co-workers, to those that they share life with, but also to the government officials. We ask that the government would change, that the, the gospel would change even the government and those who are in power so that that country might change through the power of Jesus' blood, and his body, and his resurrection. And so we thank you for this day. We do commit this time to you as we open your word, as we look to the truth of scripture. We ask that God, you would change us through it. 
and that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified in all that takes place here today, that as we leave here today, we would be obedient to the truth of your word, that you might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today we begin this new series called Disciple, and to be honest, it was kind of a last-minute um, creation because we got done with our Philippians series a little bit early, and so um, we're going to take it a week at a time and see where the Lord leads us. I've got some things planned for the rest of the year, but we had to kind of shift some things around because of that. Um, but this was kind of on my heart and mind leading up to this week and through the week, and so just kind of went with where we'll be at today. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John uh, chapter 3. That's going to be the primary place that we'll be at beginning in verse 22 in just a moment. Uh, I'm in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along with me word for word. It'll be on the screen and in the outlines as well. Um, maybe like some of you, I did not grow up in the wealthiest of families. Um, in fact, the other night we had dinner with uh, one of my former pastors who was passing through town um, and he used to serve on a church staff with my dad several years ago. And it was actually a couple of years ago, he was with my dad sharing some memories of um, those days of serving in ministry. And he was sharing just kind of like how difficult it was because they didn't make a lot of money. And so he shared what he made on a weekly basis at this church, fulfilling multiple roles because they had a, a church, Christian school, and a college. And so he was sharing what he made. And my dad kind of laughed. was like, wow, you, you had it nice. You, you, were, you were doing well because I made $25 less than that per week. And when I figured it up, um, it came out to working full-time at today's minimum wage, uh, essentially three different roles at the church, the Christian school, and at the college. And so um, it was uh, some hard days. In fact, my dad, uh, during that season, there was a season of time in those days that he had to work third shift at Burger King. Um, and then he would build computers for people on the side, kind of custom computers. That was before desktops like uh, got super cheap and you could buy them, you know, at the prices you can today. Uh, used to, you could build them cheaper. And so that's what he would do or he would service computers. He just did a multiple of different uh, things, whatever he could to provide for our family and to pay the bills. Um, growing up, I didn't have name brand clothes, na name brand shoes. If I got anything name brand, it was the rejects that like my wealthier cousins didn't want. Um, and so it was already probably, you know, looked down upon by those who had more things. But to me, it was name brand. To me, it was cool. Maybe it didn't match. Maybe it, the other stuff I had, but it had that name on it. Uh, I remember my dad telling me that name brand shoes were no different than the store brand shoes uh, that they, are, they go down the same assembly line, and when they get to the end, they just get a different label, um, which proves that parents lie to. Uh, either, that, either that or my grandpa maybe told him that, and he believed it, and who knows? I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but that is not true, because one day, my grandma, my granny, I called her granny, it was my mom's mom, uh, loved my granny. She loved clearance sales. She didn't have a lot of money. Uh, she was essentially, you know, raised her family like a single mom. Uh, my grandpa was an alcoholic, abusive, and, and so she just didn't have a lot, 
and so, but she loved giving to her grandkids, and she had a room that she called Kmart, and so um, my dad, we would go over to my grandma's house and to, to granny's house, and my dad would say on the way, don't ask for anything. Well, being the younger one and like one of the only guys, all of my female cousins would team up on me and convince me to go ask granny to open Kmart because we would get a, a, a toy or something, and then I ended up standing in the corner. So uh, that was fun. They got to play with their toy while I stood in the the corner. And so one day she bought me a pair of silver series tennis shoes from Walmart on clearance. And they may still sell silver series. I don't know, but they were the cheap Walmart brand. They weren't even the knockoff of like starter at the time. Like starter in those days were big time. Now starters a Walmart brand. And so the silver series, they weren't like a knockoff of anything. They were just like, these are cheap. And then they're so cheap. If we don't sell them, we're going to put them on clearance and they're going to be even cheaper. And so when my grandma gave them to me, I saw some of my other cousins kind of snarl up at some of the gifts that she gave them uh, because they had more things. And so to get Silver Series for them was like, what is this? You know, and it would hurt her feelings because she just didn't have a lot to give. And so I loved my granny. I I would go spend my spring breaks helping her clean out her refrigerator because she physically wasn't able to do that. She would be sitting there watching the, her shows, you know, the, the soap operas. Um, And so it it was funny because I would go there every year and the show would only be like a week in time difference a a year apart. It's like, weren't we just talking about this? Anyway, so I, I, I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but my uh, dad, I didn't care, like, complaining to him, and so I told him, like, I don't want to wear these. I know I'm going to get made fun of at school, and so I complained to him about having to wear the Silver Series to school. Well, I wore them because my dad made me, and um, so once I get to school, I'm a guy, and so we're playing football at recess and just doing what guys do, and on the first day, the soul's separated from the shoe. And so I get home and I put up such a fight. I'm, I can, I, you know, I can fight for what I want pretty, pretty convincingly, not with my dad though. And so because I had put up such a fuss for this, I get home and the shoes are tore up. He thinks I do it on purpose. And so I got a paddling on top of having to wear the shoes and getting made fun of because he thought I did it on purpose. I've hated Silver Series ever since. Like, even if I didn't have any money, I, I would work an extra job just to make sure my kids didn't have to wear Silver Series. That's how much I hate those stupid shoes that got me a paddling for nothing, just being a, a guy. Well, in the 90s, there was this uh, country song by Travis Tritt. It was called, I'm Gonna Be Somebody. In fact, um, here's some of the lyrics. Uh, it says, Bobby played his guitar on the harder side of town where it's hard for a poor boy to find the money. Not a pool boy, but the poor boy. He had dedication. He had the, hold on, let me quote it so they can hear it. He had the heart and soul. Somehow he knew he was born to play. People said, get a real job, support your family, because there's no future in the road you're taking. He never said a word. The dreamer just kept on. Late at night, you could hear him say, he said, one of these days, I'm going to break these chains. I'm going to be somebody someday. We didn't plan this, by the way. Uh, I just, I knew this. Anytime I quote, anytime I quote song lyrics, 
Brian's going to sing them. Uh, you can bet your hard-earned dollar, I will. Well, that song like, became my favorite song for the longest time because I could resonate with it. It resonated with me. Maybe you've been there. Like You didn't grow up with much, and you uh, felt like you were less than those who had it's, you know, pretty much whatever they wanted. They could go do whatever they wanted. And so there was this kind of resolve within yourself that you were going to be somebody. You were going to accomplish something great. That, that became the pursuit of your life. And for some of you, it may be the pursuit of your life even now. You're, you're going to be a great musician like Brian, or you're going to be a, a movie star, or you're going to be a CEO. You're going to be the boss. You're going to tell everyone else what to do. You're, you're going to achieve great things because you know what it's like to grow up wearing the Silver Series shoes, being made fun of, and being looked down on, and being treated different than everyone else. And so there's a, there was a resolve within you, or maybe there's a resolve in you that says, one of these days, I'm going to be somebody. One of these days, you know, it's going to be my name in the headlights, in, in, the, in the highlights, and, and in the spotlight. It wasn't until I matured in my faith that I realized that that pursuit was misguided, that, that um, I was walking down a, a, an unhealthy and uh, wrong path. As I shared last week, when we looked at um, what we were talking about for Easter, I mentioned in Genesis, there's so much that begins in Genesis, and there's so much that takes place just in the garden and with Adam and Eve. But as I told you, as the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, um, this is what he tells them, that if they were to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, God knows that when you eat it, even though he told you not to eat it, he knows that if you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. There's so much that hinges on that one temptation in our life. There's so much that we can look to that when we've taken the wrong path, it narrows down to that. And in fact, you can write this down because if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus and if we're going to follow him, maybe you're, you're new to the faith and you've trusted Christ as the sufficient payment for your sins, but you're really not following him yet. There's a difference in just being a Christian and trusting Christ as your savior and being a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And so we have to choose this if we're going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Number one, you can either choose to try to be God, like the serpent was telling Adam and Eve, you can be God, you can be somebody your name can be in lights. You, you can be the, the, the big shot, the big name. Or you can submit to the one true God. There's, that, that's it. Now, you may not in your mind go, you know what, I want to be God. Adam and Eve, I don't think we're saying, I'm going to be God. The serpent kind of used a certain language there, not that you can be God, because if you've been in the presence of God, you know you can't be God. They, they walked with him in the cool of the evening. He came and called for them by name. They knew looking at God, there was no way they could be God. But what does the serpent say? You could be what? Like God. And so the pursuit and the temptation is not necessarily that you sit around and go, you know what, I'm going to be God. But in your mind, it's I want to be like God. I want to be powerful. I want to be wealthy. I want to be the big shot. I want to be somebody. So that's one choice that you have to choose. 
But the other choice, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, and if we're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, the other choice is I'm going to submit to the one true God. Because I can't be like God and there be just one true God where there's no equal. Uh, His throne sits way above our throne. See, that was the temptation of Satan even within himself. He, He says in Isaiah, I will set my throne above the heavens and be like the most high God, like, like as if he could set his throne above God's. And so that is the choice that you have in your life. You can either try to be God or be like God, or you have to choose to submit to the one true God. Although he wasn't a disciple, John the Baptist shows us the right heart and the right attitude if we're going to follow Jesus. If we desire to follow him, He shows us the path in which we have to take, and I think it sets us up well for this series. John chapter 3, verse 22 to 26 to begin this series, it says this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized. Since John had not yet been thrown into prison, that's interesting little segue there. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So Jesus and his disciples come to the Judean countryside and they begin baptizing people. And not too far from him is John the Baptist who has been baptizing people for a while. He's been having conversations with the Judaizers and all these different people and the, or the Pharisees and those who, um, you know, he, he's, the, he's the rough guy who's not wearing all the, you know, the nice clothes and robe and he's wearing the, the wool and he, he, he looks wild. And so he's out in the wilderness and he's doing his thing. He's been doing his thing and like p- multitudes are coming to him. He's been baptizing them. And now Jesus comes not too far from him. And he begins doing the same exact work and baptizing, even though John the Baptist has been doing it longer. And so John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, those who are kind of following after him and working with him, they're upset and they begin to complain. And they say, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone's going to them. Like he's taking up our real estate. He's taking our clientele. Like, these are the people making us great and making us look good. And, and they're going over to him. And this sounds much like the, the, the turf wars that I've seen among churches. Like, can you believe that a church planted, like, right beside that other church? Can, can you believe that what's going on over there? Instead of us being able to celebrate with the larger churches, you know, when there's success in the larger global church— Some people have to start looking like something shady must be going on, questioning motives and kind of being dismissive of what God might be doing in another church and going, hey, there must be something shady or sinful going over there because there's no way they planted with 300 people. There's no way their first service they had 700 people. There's no way they had 30 salvations in that one service. I hear it all the time. And there's like these turf wars taking place between followers of Jesus who belong to the same family, who are on the same team, who worship the same Savior, who's going to the same heaven. We belong to the same kingdom, 
and yet we start looking with a skewed vision towards those who do, don't intend to do us harm. We're supposed to be on the same team doing the same work. So instead of celebrating, and that's what we see here. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I just wonder if John the Baptist's success, I mean, he was the one doing the work here. They were the disciples, but maybe it went to their head. Like, we're the posse for John the Baptist. We're the groupies. We're, we're the ones that get to be with him. We know him. Like, we're, we're close to him. And so if Jesus comes along with his disciples and more people are going to him, that's going to dry up our success. That's going to dry up kind of the spotlight being on us. Scripture doesn't say, but they're bothered by it. They're worried that more people are now going to Jesus than to John the Baptist. They were threatened by Jesus' success, yet Jesus wasn't a threat to them. He was co-laboring with them. After all, Jesus was the point of their ministry. In fact, John was the messenger that was there to point the, and, and pave the way for Christ. That was the whole point of what his ministry was. John was Jesus's messenger. Now, his disciples might have lost the right perspective, but John, thankfully, hadn't. And that's what we see in today's world, and we see where pastors fall and they sin, or um, other ministry leaders and other Christians, and we e even see it outside of the Christian faith. Even this week, w another uh, religious leader who got into some hot water, and, and what we see is people lose the right perspective, or they start getting too big in their own head, and they start being like God thinking they're like God, thinking they can be like God, thinking they can make their own rules, thinking they can make, go down their own path and do what they want to do. Thankfully, John remembered that he was just Jesus's messenger. He didn't let his success go to his head. This is what happens in uh, verse 27 to 29. So John responded to them, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. So John tells his disciples, no one can uh, receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. Jesus's ministry was successful because the Father had given him those people. In fact, Jesus says in John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says about the disciples, these are whom you have given to me. So this had been given to him by the Father, and John just relates himself to be the friend of the groom. Like, it's not about me. This isn't my wedding. The groom is here to get his bride. I'm just on the side here celebrating and excited because of what Jesus is doing. I'm Jesus's friend. I'm not the point of what is taking place. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So everything we have has been given to us. Your health, your wealth, your family, your success, your talents, everything. So whatever you have has been given to you. This is where jealousy comes in. Because 
We get jealous that God hasn't given us something. See, jealousy is always pointed at God. If you are a follower of Jesus and believe in Jesus and, or believe in God and uh, have somewhat of a belief in even a higher power, because jealousy is the belief that um, God had the ability to do more, to give you more, to allow more, but he didn't. And so now you're jealous of someone else that you feel like God has blessed more than you, given more than you, allowed more than you. But yet the scripture tells us, why should anyone act superior when he gives it all to us? It says, in fact, you did receive it. Why do you boast if you hadn't received it? So that which you have been given, there's nothing to boast about. You're like, yeah, but I work a great job and earn a lot of money. But God gave you the talent to be able to do that. You could have been, you could have been born with a mental deficiency where you couldn't retain the knowledge that you have to retain that in which you are able to do the job in order to earn that good living. God gave you everything to allow what you have, and yet we get so superior and we get so prideful. See, we shouldn't look down on another person who we uh, feel like maybe they have less than us when what we have in comparison to them through our own eyes is given to us. And I wonder if God looks at the same way like we do anyway, because we look at physical blessings we look at the material blessings and we think we've got more than some other people. And yet you might have a lot of material blessings, but be overtaken by anxiety. And yet the person who has little wearing the silver series shoes is like, I'm good. You know, when the stock market crashed in 2008, you know how worried I was about it? Absolutely zero because I was already poor and I didn't lose anything. <laughs> zero anxiety. Some of you were worried what you were going to do the next year, day, whatever. Because you lost a lot. You had a lot. And you might have looked at me wearing my Silver Series shoes and like, ah, look at what they've got. 2008, in a day, it all changed. All changed. And yet, I had peace of mind. God had blessed me in a way. So why do we look from a physical standpoint of blessings See, we also shouldn't envy others who we feel has received more than us when God has entrusted to us exactly what he wanted for us. See, that's the other side. See, that's where I got misguided to think, oh, I got to be somebody because I've got the silver series shoes because I don't have the name brand clothes because I don't get to do all that my cousins or my friends get to do. And so I could envy them not understanding that what I do have has been given to me by God. And so therefore I should be grateful for it and thank him for it and be a good steward of it. See, here's the reality. It could be that God has blessed another person's commitment and faithfulness over a number of years. And what you're seeing is someone's blessing and someone, maybe a special blessing God has allowed for someone 20 years down the road from where you're at today. See, that's what gets a lot of young people in trouble, especially in the physical realm. Because we want what mom and dad raised us with, and yet not understanding it took 20 or 30 years for them to get there. And we leave home and think, I got to have everything mom and dad had over a 20, 30 year period. And so now credit card debt, personal loans, vehicle loans, home loans, all of this. Why? Because we feel like we've got to have the same thing that God has allowed someone to have and accumulate over maybe a 20 year period. In the same way, it could be that God has given more to someone 
to test their commitment and their heart towards Him? Are they going to worship the creator of things, the gifts, or are they going to worship the giver? Are they going to take their eyes off of Him? So, in the world of um, materialism and physical things, we have to understand, just as John was telling his disciples, whatever you have, whether you think it's a lot or a little, has been given to you by God. And in Jesus's position, and in, in, in this scenario of what was taking place, the disciples of John were getting envious because Jesus's ministry was now flourishing because God had blessed him as the groom who has come to get his bride. And John's over here going, look, I'm just a messenger. I'm just the friend. I just want to be there at the wedding. And because his ministry is flourishing and, uh, and, and doing better than mine now, my joy is complete. He celebrated what God was doing and blessing for Jesus. God gives all that we have. We have to trust he's given, that, given all that we need. He's given us all that we have. We have to trust that he's given us all that we need. See, the shift that now took place from John the Baptist to Jesus was God's plan. John says, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. John's saying, I'm not God, but I'm here to submit to the one true God. I'm not God. I'm not the Messiah. And so therefore, that's the kind of attitude we have to have in this life. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're not Jesus. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Savior. You're not like God, nor can you be like God. And so if you're truly going to keep your focus on Jesus and on Him, you have to commit and almost preach to yourself, I'm not the Messiah. I'm going to submit to the one true God because that is what I've been called to do. John the Baptist's whole mission was to point to Jesus. It wasn't his own popularity, building his own brand. It wasn't building up his own following. It wasn't to pursue wealth and success. It wasn't to build his own church or his own kingdom. John the Baptist's mission was to pave the way for Jesus, the one who was greater than him. That was what he was called to do. That was what he was uh, put here on earth to do. And our choice is the same. Our heart and our attitude has to be the same. Your choice can be to be great, to be somebody, to, to have your name in lights, to have everybody pat you on the back and want your autograph and follow you on Instagram and all of those things that society tells us that we should be pursuing and desiring. Or you can use your life, every ounce of it, every breath that you've been given because it's been given to you by God entrusted to you by God. You can use that breath, you can use that life to point to the one who is greater. You can choose, I want to be great, or I want him to be great. I want to be great, or I want him to be greater. I want to be famous, or I want to make him famous. That's the choice. I want to be like God, or I want to submit to God. That's the choice. It is that simple although it's difficult, very difficult in this flesh. But the choice is simple. It's not like you've got to figure out some religious code. It's not like God hides it somewhere in Scripture and you've got to figure out what the choice in life is. 
If you want to follow Jesus, those are the choices. Verse 29, he says, so this joy of mine is complete. Why? Because it was God's provision. God paved the way for Jesus to now become greater, his ministry to now flourish, and it made his joy complete. I wonder what makes your joy complete. Is it all that is for your person, for yourself? Or is your joy made complete in Christ, following him, seeing his great work accomplished, that the ministry that he calls us to, the gospel ministry that he calls every one of us as individuals to be a part of, does that make us, or does that complete our joy? Because if it doesn't, then of course you're going to chase other things to think that those things would make your joy complete. But John didn't have to chase anything else. He didn't have to chase fame and fortune and popularity among the people. Why? Because his joy was based in Christ and Christ being made famous and being made great. And that is what led to this famous passage that we know of in John chapter 3, verse 30, where he says, He, speaking of Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. I've come to a place, God used me greatly at one point in my life. He, he used me greatly in my ministry up to this point, but my ministry was just a point to the coming Savior. My, my ministry was just a point to the Messiah. And now that he is here, he must increase and I must decrease. I, I, I've got to take my name off the billboard. I've I got to put Jesus' name up there. I, I, got, I, I can't have you as my disciples upset that my ministry is now smaller than his. We have to celebrate and be joyful that Jesus is now on the scene and he's about his father's work. I must decrease, he must increase. And for us as followers of Jesus, you can write this down, Christians don't strive for fame and greatness. They strive to make Jesus famous and proclaim his greatness. Your pursuit in life is not fame and greatness. Now, that does not mean that God does not allow certain Christians and certain people to become famous as we know it. He, he, it doesn't mean he doesn't allow them to accomplish great things. But that is not our pursuit. That is not why we wake up in the morning. That is not what drives us and motivates us. That shouldn't be what resonates with us. I'm going to be somebody. I want my name in lights. That's where we start getting distracted. That's where we start taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's where we start uh, living according to the things of the world. Why? Because the world will cancel you if you start preaching Jesus. If you start preaching his truth, they'll try to shut you down and silence you or get you to change. And now you're not living for the greatness and the fame of Jesus, but you're seeking your own fame and greatness. And in this world, their fame and greatness isn't the same as living faithfully for God and according to his word. And you'll see this in just a moment. So Christians don't strive for fame and greatness. They strive to make Jesus famous and proclaim his greatness. The pursuit of a true disciple of Jesus is not, I'm going to be somebody. The pursuit of a true disciple is, let me tell you about somebody greater than myself, and his name is Jesus. Now, I don't shy away from wanting and desiring to accomplish great things, but it's not for myself any longer. It's for the kingdom of God. If Jesus is king, 
I want to give him my all. I want to do the best that I can and accomplish whatever I can on this earth for his kingdom, not for myself. So it's not that we go, you know, I just want to be mediocre. No, in fact, um, Scripture tells us, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So when you work, do it with what? Half your might? Just a little bit of your might? Like you're sleepwalking through life? No, with all of your might. Why? Because we do it for Jesus. We do it unto the Lord. So we have to check our motivation. It's not that we just sit back and we're lazy and that we um, are apathetic. But instead, when we want to and have a desire to accomplish great things, we have to go, why do I want to accomplish this great thing? So that I will be famous, so that I will be made great, so that I will have more followers online, so that I'll have more money in the bank, so that whatever that might be, or because Christ will be made known and He will be made great. So we don't shy away from achieving greatness, but we do have to check our motives. Now look at Matthew 14, 3 through 11. John 3 set us up for this. For Herod had arrested John. He's the forerunner of Christ. He's paving the way for Jesus. He, he had a flourishing ministry. Jesus now has taken over his ministry. Jesus is greater, and yet Herod arrests John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Hmm, so there's something going on in the castle, in the kingdom. John's preaching truth. He's speaking what is right and what's true according to God. Hey, you can't have your brother's wife. It's wrong. It's a sexual sin. Covetousness, all on and on, all that's tied up into that. It's unlawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd since they regarded John as a prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Man, would you consider that great? You spent your life, your ministry, faithfully preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing the way for Jesus, pointing people to Him, only to be imprisoned and then eventually beheaded over a lustful dance? Like your, your life is narrowed down to a dancing girl and her mother who wants your head on a platter after faithfully serving God and preparing the way for Jesus. Because this was John the Baptist's faith. A man who himself was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in a couple of different places. But look at Malachi 3.1. See, I'm going to send my messenger. So this is God speaking, saying, John is my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. 
See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. I just wonder for you, for me, growing up, not very wealthy, not being able to do the things that other people get to do, striving and desiring to be somebody, to be great. Would, would you, as a follower of Jesus, be satisfied if all anyone remembered of you is that you made Jesus famous and made him greater than yourself? Like That's all they remember of you. Your ministry diminished. Your work on earth forgotten. But when they think of Nick, when they think of you, they, the only thing they can think of is Jesus. The only thing they can think of is the gospel and the good news of Jesus. There's a lot of ministers and there's a lot of people that, that have gone on before us that, that as I think of their name, I can't, what do we relate them to? The multitudes of people who have come to faith because of them. It could be a Sunday school teacher who you think about and it was that person who cared for you and sat down with you with a Bible and showed you how to know Jesus. And when you hear their name, what you remember of them is Jesus. Are you okay with that? Or are you stuck in this temptation that you have to have more, that you have to have something greater, that it has to have your name attached to it, that, that you have to be great, that you have to achieve greatness. Beheaded, lost his head for Jesus. Would you be okay with that? Like John, to be a true disciple of Jesus, it starts by deciding in our heart, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, it's all about Jesus. That's what a follower does. A follower follows the leader. You can't be the leader and follow Jesus. So we all have to come to this decision in our life. I must decrease so that Christ might increase. And that is not always easy in a world, in a culture that tells you to strive for fame, to be your true self, to live your truth. There is no our truth because my truth would always trump your truth. And you think your truth would always trump my truth. You don't have your truth and my truth. There is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is one truth. But yet the world will tell you, you go pursue your truth. You go find yourself. You achieve greatness. Never settle. Go for more, bigger and better. Look out for yourself. And so today, you have to make this decision. Try to be like God. Try to be your own God. Or submit to the one true God. See, because we're living in a culture that you're either going to preach the truth, teach the truth, promote the truth, stand on the truth, stand firm because of the truth, or you're going to bend away from the truth. You're going to compromise the truth. You're going to be afraid to lose your head because of truth. You're going to be afraid to be canceled, to be silenced, to lose financially, to be ostracized. Not only is it bad now, it's only going to get worse. And I'm not here to be like Debbie Downer. I'm just telling you, it's going to get worse. 
So it's either I'm going to live by the truth and die by the truth if I have to, or I'm going to try to be like God. I'm going to, I want to be liked. I want to be embraced. I don't want anybody to publicly say something about me online. It might hurt my feelings. Those are the true temptations. So will you be like God or will you submit to the one true God no matter what it costs you? We've been talking about this thing with joining the Hope Church family and some of you might be confused by that and wonder why I think it's good and right. Here's why, it's not about me. I must decrease, we must decrease, Christ must increase. There are people that I have known of and that I have heard of that have given up six-figure income jobs. I've known friends who've given up not quite that much, but decent living to go to the mission field, to go to a foreign mission field with a people they don't know, to learn a new language, to learn a new culture. And we look at that and we go, why would they give that up? Because they've decided to decrease so that Christ might increase. How do Christians willingly go to prison like we pray for every week? How do they willingly face death by beheading like John did, or imprisonment, or other gruesome uh, death by gruesome measures? Like, how do Christians do that willingly? Because they've decided that they must decrease in order for Jesus to increase. Because that's the only way in our life that Jesus will increase to the maximum is when we decrease, when we humble ourselves. Why do men like my dad and like that pastor I shared with you serve in churches when they could use their gifts and their talents at other places making great livings? Why would they serve in a church where they have to hold multiple jobs? Pastoring enough is already takes an insurmountable amount of time. Why would they work two and three jobs just to support their families for a local church. There are hundreds, thousands of bivocational pastors. And you might say, what's bivocational? Meaning they work two jobs. There's thousands of pastors who volunteer, make no money to serve a local church. You know the average, you know how blessed we are? Look, I want all these seats filled because every one of these seats represent people. But you know how blessed we are to have this size of a church? We're blessed. But Jesus, God has allowed us to have this. Scripture says it. But you know that the average church used to be about 76 people, 75 people? That's the average American church. After COVID, it's in the 50s now, like 58, 59 on average. And those churches are so small to be able to have the money to do ministry that the pastors have to hold another job or maybe they're just volunteer. Why would a man do that? Because they've decided in their heart, I must decrease so that Jesus might increase. If this is my way of laying my life down, if this is my way of giving my head per se for the truth, this is my death that I'll die. This is my sacrifice that I'll make for the sake of those who need to hear the gospel, those who need to grow by the gospel. I must decrease so he might increase. To be a true disciple of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. You will have to decrease 
so Jesus can increase. And my question to you today as I close is, are you willing to do that? As we kick this series off talking about the radical call to follow Jesus, are you willing to decrease so Jesus might increase? That's something you have to decide on your own. But today as I pray, I'm going to encourage you to have that conversation with God to say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that I'm holding on to or that's standing in the way between me and you being famous and me proclaiming how great Jesus is, then remove it, chop it down, get it out of my life. Help me to decrease. Humble me if you have to. Lower me. Lower my pride. Lower my view of self. Lower my view of my stuff. Change my heart in whatever area. And that's every one of us. We're all idolatrous in some way. We all place something before God in some way. So this is for all of us. Lord, help me to decrease so you might increase. And whatever that is specifically in your life, you do work through prayer in this moment with God. Let's pray. God, thank you for John's example. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that, Lord, we see a man who was willing to lay down his life to give his head because he preached the truth, because he proclaimed the coming Messiah. Lord, he could have avoided prison by bending to the truth, by proclaiming himself and, and, and shying away from the true Messiah. Lord, or he could have pleased Herod and said what Herod wanted to hear and what he wanted to say, wanted him to say, but he didn't. He spoke the truth. He proclaimed Jesus. He decreased so Christ might increase. And so, Father, I pray that we would have that same heart and that same attitude. I ask that you would speak here now. And, Lord, whatever it is that's standing between us and you, whatever it is that we need to die to, that we need to decrease to, that we would make that choice, that we want to submit to the one true living God, that we would make the choice that we don't want to be famous that we don't want to be made greater, but Lord, we want to make Jesus famous. And we want to pro proclaim his greatness. May that be all of our hearts. And then, Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that, Lord, today they would find the great Savior to be sufficient payment for their sins, that they would trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation, that they would call out to you, to be saved, that they would confess their sins now, they would repent, that they would trust on Christ, and today they would become a follower of Jesus. They would become a disciple. So, Father, may your spirit work, draw us to yourself. Once again, thank you for the body and the blood given to us. Thank you for allowing us to remember that today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.